0: welcome to wild on health your weekly holistic prescription for living healthy naturally lifespan that's the time you clock on this planet healthspan however is the time you'll be spending living your life in optimal mental and physical health join me on seeking healthspan a podcast loaded with sensible recommendations and tips intended to put quality years on your life when we think about our health i think about our heart blood pressure, cholesterol levels, maybe even the impact of stress. We know we should be keeping a healthy weight, maybe to prevent diabetes and multiple diseases that relate to carrying around too much fat, liver health, watch your alcohol intake, etc., etc. But more often than not, we don't think about brain health until it's too late. Dr. Dale Bredesen graduated from Caltech and received a medical degree from Duke University. He served as chief resident in neurology at the University of California, San Francisco, and a postdoctoral fellow in the laboratory of Nobel laureate, Professor Stanley Prusiner. Dr. Bredesen is currently professor at UCLA and provided first descriptions of the reversal of cognitive decline in patients with Alzheimer's or pre-Alzheimer's and has a recent successful trial published just this last year. Dr. Bredesen, welcome to Wild on Health Seeking Healthspan. Great to talk with you, Bryce. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. Uh, Pharmaceutical trials for Alzheimer's have failed repeatedly, but your recent study using fundamentally different approach based upon the science of what we'll learn is recode has provided the first clinical trial success. So that's using prescripting or rather precision medicine to identify and target the drivers of Alzheimer's or pre Alzheimer's in each individual patient. And I can't wait to unpack this with you, but first... There are four basic clinical stages of cognitive decline as I've come to learn pre-symptomatic, subjective cognitive impairment, mild cognitive impairment, and then full Alzheimer's diagnosis, which itself has these seven stages. But here's the question, the burning question. How early should people start to think about looking at their brain health in a meaningful way to derive health span?
1: Yeah, this is a great question with huge implications because unfortunately, Physicians are waiting far too long, and people are waiting far too long to get a diagnosis. As you indicated, you really go through these four phases. And yes, when you get to Alzheimer's, you've got multiple stages. But you don't want to wait to get to Alzheimer's. Obviously, you can do much better if you get in earlier. So the first phase, as you said, asymptomatic. Now, already, for many people who are be in their late thirties, early forties, even you may be able to see the beginnings of changes by PET scanning and by spinal fluid. Of course, most of us don't wanna go in for annual spinal taps. Uh, So uh, there are better and better, good news, there are better and better tests, blood tests for things like phospho tau 181 and phospho tau 217 and uh, amyloid beta and things like that. So you do go through this asymptomatic period, but then you go to the second period, as you mentioned, SCI subjective cognitive impairment. Now by definition that means you know there's something wrong, often your spouse will notice that there's something wrong, uh, but in fact you're still able to score within the normal range on standardized tests. So that's the definition of subjective cognitive impairment. Now the good news, the epidemiologists have shown us that lasts on average about 10 years. So as you can see there's a tremendous window of opportunity but i hear this every day had a guy the other day was in actually late stages of mci went in and his doctor said oh this is just normal aging and uh, this is the worst thing you can do is to tell someone oh it's just normal aging when in fact there is something going on so you need to look more deeply the third stage then out of the four is called mci mild cognitive impairment this is like telling someone don't worry, you've only got mildly metastatic cancer. (laughs) It is a late stage of the process. And therefore the term mild has really hurt a lot of people. And the doctors are saying, oh, it's just mild, come back next year. And then of course you finally come back and five to 10% of people with MCI will convert to Alzheimer's or convert to dementia each year. It's not always Alzheimer's dementia, that's just the most common cause of dementia. So this is a real problem and we shouldn't be waiting. Anybody who is 45 years of age or older should get on active prevention or the earliest reversals. Please don't wait because as you indicated, there's a tremendous amount we can do about it. And we really could if everyone would just come in early, we could make Alzheimer's a truly rare disease.
0: So, folks, either get your pen and paper handy uh, or spend some time uh, reversing back and listening to this over again because, um, you know, you're going to want to get ahead of this. This is something we don't often think about, to your point, Dr. Bredesen, and in order to get ahead of it, in order to really be preventive, you know, you mentioned a few tests there. I always say this to my patients, know your numbers. If you don't know your numbers, how are you supposed to, you know, work towards correcting anything and certainly getting a baseline. So yeah, people aren't necessarily going to get spinal taps or, you know, hippocampal volumes on MRI, but are there tests that we should be running on an annual physical that better determine a baseline for health? You refer to this as i uh, I've heard you say before, cognoscopy. And, and you, sure. I know you often employ the Montreal cognitive assessment or the MOCA as it's known yeah. as. Simple to do. Yes, absolutely.
1: So, yes, we should all have a cognoscopy at 45, or if we're already older than 45, please get a cognoscopy. We all know that when you turn 50, you're supposed to get a colonoscopy. Right. Uh, You know, all of us do that, but people don't tell you, yeah, but if you're 45 or over, please get a cognoscopy. And it's actually Very easy to do. And you can get this through the pre-code program that we developed for prevention, but you can get it other places as well. So simply that means three things. Number one, get a series of blood tests that are, by the way, very much related to your health span. So you want to know if you have systemic inflammation. You want to know if you have reduced nutrients, trophic factors, hormones. You want to know if you have glycotoxicity and insulin resistance. You want to know if you've had exposure to various toxins. So there are some relatively simple things that you can do that unfortunately most doctors are not doing sadly because it is important to know these things and it will help extend your health span. So that's number one, the second part of it is simple online cognitive assessment. Um, And we use something called CNS vital signs, but you can do, as you said, a MOCA, Montreal Cognitive Assessment. You just wanna know how you're doing with your cognition because let's face it, this problem sneaks up on us. I've had many people who will say, well, I'm here for prevention, it's in my family. And when we test them, we find out, oh yeah, actually they're already falling off. We had one woman who said, you know, this is uh, common in my family. I think I'm fine, but I'm here for prevention. Uh, Mocha scores go zero to 30. We should most of us be scoring 28, 29, or 30. She had a 23, which is fairly late stage MCI already. So she was already in that third phase. She went on the approach that we developed, which we, as you mentioned, called Recode. And um, she's now got a perfect 30. She's doing very, very well. And unfortunately, many of the tests that are used are relatively insensitive. Uh, And so you want to know if you're having any issues. So that's the second piece, a simple online cognitive assessment. And then the third one uh, is only if you've got symptoms, you should, as you mentioned, have an MRI with volumetrics. So you should know if your hippocampal volume is okay, if your gray matter volume is okay. But again, if you're doing well on the testing and you don't have any symptoms, you don't even need to do that. So it's quite easy and it can get you pointed in the right direction so that you truly can avoid Alzheimer's disease.
0: Absolutely. It uh, snuck up on my own mother. So this really hits close to home. Um, Mm -hmm. She's now unfortunately in very late stage Alzheimer's and a uh, care facility. Um, Very happy, very happy that she's happy. Uh, But, um, you know, have you seen the movie Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe? Of course, course, yeah. totally different topic. But going into her condo one day, she was always a note taker. Um, teacher by profession, yeah. uh, so I knew I was in trouble if I found a sticky note on my placemat before dinner because it was listing, you know, what I'd done wrong and how to correct it. <clears throat> but uh, walking into her condo one day, um, I had seen uh, what was a very unusual mounting level of notes, and that really wasn't even what triggered me to think something was up. It was what was on those notes. So there's a surplus of notes, even for her. And um, the improper spelling of my younger sister's name with a question mark mark around what her birthday was. So that was it for me, you know, and I hadn't caught as, as a teacher and these, you know, people hide it, they hide it well, especially those that are, you know, maybe of a a, of a, a higher education background, they, they, they tend to be deceiving as to their self-admission as that second phase goes, you know, when you, when, you, when you identify that maybe it's creeping up on you and you don't even want to admit to it. So it really can. And that speaks volumes to the idea of getting ahead of it. Um, maybe just before we get into your incredible recent study, uh, maybe we should share some good news, and that is that our brain mass and our brain activity isn't fixed, and nor does it necessarily need to decline at the rate that North American society is currently reflecting. So talk to us about the good news around neurogenesis for a couple of minutes here and the recent scientific discoveries that were more neuroplastic than we thought if we take care of our brain.
1: Absolutely and in fact, neurogenesis and also just synaptic plasticity. So neuroplasticity, the ability to change your brain is something that lives with you virtually until your death. And some beautiful studies by Professor Mike Mersnick Uh, who's the one who developed brain training actually to show that we remain neuroplastic throughout our lives. And in fact, what we've discovered in the laboratory is that what we call Alzheimer's disease is essentially looking at pulling back on that plasticity instead of going forward you're actually pulling back and and normally of course you have a beautiful balance between synaptoblastic activity that is making new synapses and synaptoclastic activity which is pulling back and you know you forget the seventh song that played on the radio on the way to work yesterday great but you're remembering critical things for your life where your keys are and how to spell names and things like that and unfortunately as we get a little older with changes in our nutrients and changes in our uh, glycotoxicity and insulin resistance and ongoing inflammation and some head trauma, toxin exposures, poor sleeping, all of these things, they contribute to that synaptoclastic activity. And you know, there's a wonderful analogy here to the pandemic, what happened with the pandemic? We were all told shelter in place, there's an insult which has come, which is of course SARS-CoV-2. And so we were told to shelter in place, to socially distance, to pull back, not to go to work, to avoid contact. And what happened? The entire country did pull back and went into a recession. Well, the same thing is happening in your brain. Your brain has this remarkable system, a switch which is literally at the center of Alzheimer's disease, where when things are good, you can literally trace the molecular pathways and the amyloid precursor protein that is associated with Alzheimer's is actually building and maintaining new synapses when things are good. Mm -hmm. That same molecule when things are bad, when you've got inflammation and when you've got glycotoxicity and insulin resistance and all these things, it goes into a protective downsizing mode. And in fact, the amyloid that we have all vilified in Alzheimer's disease is a protective antimicrobial peptide. It is literally part of your innate immune system. So literally, it is part of what says, I'm protecting this brain because there are pathogens coming to attack it. And they can come from your mouth, things like P. gingivalis, from your lip, herpes simplex, lots written about that, from the air, air pollution, you know, on and on and on, things that are literally attacking your brain. You're now laying down this stuff which kills microbes, but of course is also downsizing. So again, directly related to what we saw with our whole country and the whole world, indeed, with the pandemic. And so when you're looking at someone with dementia, developing dementia, what you want to understand is What is actually causing this brain to have to protect itself in a downsizing fashion? Let's remove those things. Let's rebuild what's there. And as you mentioned, the most important piece here is that you have
0: this beautiful neuroplasticity throughout your life. Absolutely. What you said there uh, about, uh, you know, downsizing. Uh, if you will, in prevention, I mean, there's this, the, the story is told through evolution, isn't it? With the genetics, the genetics around the APOE34 4 or 44 4 variant that yeah. at one point in our history, millions of years ago, uh, this was favorable. Um, and now, not so much as it pertains to more predisposition uh, in the cohorts that are studied in, uh, in in Alzheimer's. So, let let that segue perhaps into uh, your recent trial. Um, let's get into the results. They're they're remarkable. Uh, entitled Precision medicine approach to Alzheimer's disease, successful proof of concept trial, which applied much deeper insights into each patient's genetics and biomarkers in order to derive these optimal personalized precision medicine protocol for each of them. We're talking about basically a rolling N of one over time, right?
1: Absolutely. And so way back in 2011, uh, we proposed the first comprehensive trial. And just to back up for one moment, the big problem with this entire field is that everything is backward because people have made assumptions. We're going to wait till late. We're going to give you a single drug. We're going to treat everyone the same. We're not going to ask for people to do cognoscopies when they're young. We're going to let people get, we're going to tell them, oh, it's probably not Alzheimer's. These things are all completely backward. We wanna get people early, we wanna do prevention as much as we can, or if not that, early reversal. We wanna look at how this system works, and therefore, we wanna have a comprehensive approach where we identify all of the things that are contributing. And we typically find 10 to 15 different contributors in most people. They've got a little inflammation. They got a little gut leak. They got some oral microbiome changes. They may have a little sleep apnea, you know, on and on. We can address all these things. That's the good news, but you don't want to wait. And so way back then we actually asked to do the first trial. We were turned down by the IRBs, the Institutional Review Boards, because they said, no, no, it has to be just one thing. We said, well, wait a minute, that's not the way this disease works. So we then collected a bunch of anecdotes and we published over a hundred anecdotes over the years showing case studies, showing, hey, we can actually get the first improvements. Beginning in 2014, we published the first, more in 2016, more in 2018. Then in 2018, we said, okay, we've got a bunch bunch of case studies. Let's go back and see if we can do the trial again. We were turned down again in 2018. Finally, in 2019, uh, we were allowed to do this trial where we now look at all these different things and then we address them instead of treating blindly, which is what you're doing with a single drug. And it really, you know, it makes no sense to treat this complex chronic illness with one small molecule. The only sense it makes is a business sense because if you can get people to buy it, you can make hundreds of billions of dollars, which is kind of sad. We really need to start with what's the way we get the best outcomes. And in the future, it will be a combination of drugs and precision medicine protocols. But as you know, precision medicine has been very good in cancer getting some very good results. You're literally looking at what's causing each cancer and you're going after those things. So this is the same thing for dementia and pre-dementia. And so, as you mentioned, we did a, a trial, we finally got approved in 2019. We did the trial, It's it was posted then in 2021, it's now in press as well. It was posted as a preprint on the MedArchive preprint server just because we wanted to get this out to show, hey, here, here's some fantastic results. So with these people, we looked at their MRIs with volumetrics. We looked at their uh, uh, online cognitive assessments. We looked at their MOCA scores. We looked also at their partners and said, okay do the partners notice a difference because there have been situations where partners couldn't see any difference but there was a minimal minimal difference that you could you know measure well okay we want to see differences that people can actually see right and so instead of just preventing decline which is what the drugs have been after we actually saw an improvement and we've got people who uh, before the trial, who have sustained their improvement now for a decade, which is unheard of, Just unreal cognitive decline. So we're very excited about that. And in the trial, not only did people improve their MOCA scores, 76% of them, they improved their online cognitive assessments, 84% of them, and they actually improved their MRIs. So they had more gray matter instead of less, goes back to what you had said earlier about the neuroplasticity, so they actually improved their MRIs, and their hippocampi didn't shrink the way that they typically do when you have Alzheimer's or pre-Alzheimer's. So the results were really spectacular, and we're now on to a larger randomized controlled trial. This earlier one was a proof-of-concept trial where we're using historical controls. Now we're on to
0: a larger trial, which will begin in just a couple of months. I said it before, you know, and I'll say it again. Uh, You know, the Nobel Prize, God willing, is uh, headed your way, my friend. It's uh, just remarkable work. And uh, people want to know more about this um, in the lead up uh, in your book, The End of Alzheimer's. You discuss at length this idea that there's more than one form of Alzheimer's, and in the study, you appreciate that, and this is the multi-pronged approach. Um, and you type them. Tell us about that. You know these these uh, these subtypes and how people can identify. Because you mentioned earlier, I mean, people typically present with a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but they 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 also have a type to them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. And again, you know, everything is backward in this, in this field. So people simply do very small data sets and say, we're gonna give you a drug. We know ahead of time it doesn't work, but we give it to everyone. It really makes no biological sense. When we started then to look at larger data sets and look, as you know, this is the era of larger data sets. Google knows where you shop. Google knows where I shop because they are looking, you know, uh, whether it's uh, Alexa or whoever, you know, they know what's going on in your life. And so why are we not doing that with human beings? Human beings are incredibly complex. Can you imagine if you took your car into a, uh, a mechanic and the mechanic said, oh, Bryce, uh, we know what's wrong here. This is called car not working syndrome. Uh, We're just gonna put a little gas because that's what we do for everyone. We just put a little gas and every once in a while it works, but most people it doesn't. That's what's happening in the field of Alzheimer's. So we now need to look at humans as complex organisms. And when we do that, when we look at larger data sets, we look at your insulin resistance and we look at your toxin exposures, and we look at your sleep apnea and we look at your air pollution exposure, and all these things. What we find is just what you said, that there are these subtypes. So type one is inflammatory. These people look and act differently. and You have to treat them differently. Type two is atrophic. These are people who don't have enough trophic factors or nutrients or hormones, and they look different. They're not inflamed. They're just not supporting that neural network. And then there's a type 1.5 because it has a little features of both. And these are the people that are insulin resistant. So they have the problem with the atrophic side, but they're also glycotoxic. They have high uh, hemoglobin A1C and high glycated proteins, which are everywhere. And these things cause inflammation. Then there is type 3, which is toxic. And there are three toxic types. These There's the inorganics, the organics and the biotoxins, things like mycotoxins from molds. And I was never taught when I was training for neurology that molds and mold toxins had anything to do with cognitive decline, but it turns out to be a relatively common cause. And then type four is vascular. So if you're not supporting that brain, you have cognitive decline, and then type five is traumatic. So we need to look to see and we need to treat these people differently. This is a precision medicine, personalized approach to cognitive
0: decline, and it is what has led to by far the best outcomes. So, so much to consider. And in quick summary, I'm going to nitpick on one little point. Of course, we can't unpack all of that. It's in the book. Uh, again, The End of Alzheimer's. People got to take a read of that one uh, and or listen to it on audiobook. It's absolutely, you know, just I can't, I can go on and on about how incredibly important this is for everyone, not when and if you have a loved one or yourself are considering Alzheimer's, but again, well in advance. Um, so, whether it's sugar imbalance or hormonal imbalance or toxin exposure, mold, infectious disease, or sleep apnea, on and on. Leaky gut syndrome, you mentioned it real quick earlier. It's become a popular concept, the idea that many of us have these imbalanced microbiomes, um, inflammation in the gut, we're victims of the sad, very sad standard American diet, leaving our gut compromised. And uh, not as selective as it should be for essentially what gets into general circulation. But what are your thoughts around the relationship between leaky gut and and leaky brain and how this might be predisposing a lot of us uh, in this new age to cognitive decline at large?
1: Absolutely. and I think that's a, it's a really important concept. And of course, as a skeptical scientist, when I hear something new, I'm always concerned, you know, what are the data? Is there any proof, et cetera? And yes, first of all, I, you know, I was never taught about leaky gut, again, way back in medical school. Um, but um, it's become very clear. And, you know, work from Professor Fasano at Harvard and you know, many others have shown that this is a common problem, um, that this is a, a absolutely a, a, a true issue, you, you can pick up the leakiness, you can pick up what actually comes into your bloodstream, things like uh, lipopolysaccharide, LPS, things like fragments of bacteria, fragments of food, things like that, that can get through this leaky gut and shows why it's so critical to have high both soluble and insoluble fiber to have things that actually heal your gut up and to have an anti-inflammatory diet. You know, again, we knew way back when about things like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, but these are again, these are the end. I was really taught late stage medicine. We need all of us now to be looking at early and preventive stage medicine. We shouldn't get to Alzheimer's. We shouldn't get to ulcerative colitis. We shouldn't get to rheumatoid arthritis, all these sorts of things. So you're absolutely right, leaky gut. And yes, it is there as the data are evolving and and accumulating, it is indeed being associated with a leaky blood brain barrier. Now that in and of itself is an important topic because your blood brain barrier can become leaky because of things like inflammation. Um, but there are people who've said, well, if we just prevent the blood-brain barrier from being leaky, then we won't have Alzheimer's. Well, it's not that simple. There are a lot of things that, again, that contribute to Alzheimer's. You know, people have called it type 3 diabetes, but again, it's not that simple. There's more than just that. And so this is why, you know, so many people have said, well, it's just herpes. It's just type 3 diabetes. It's just a prion. It's just amyloid. It's just tau. No, it's a network insufficiency that, spans all of these concepts. And yes, one of them is that having a leaky blood-brain barrier, which typically is associated with some sort of ongoing inflammation. Essentially, you know, your body is not trying to give you sickness. Right. Your body is trying to respond to the insults that you have given it, unfortunately. And that's why it's making the amyloid. And that's why it's making a leaky blood-brain barrier. So it is trying to help, and you can do a tremendous amount to add to that so that you're not giving it the insults that require it to go into that protective downsizing mode that ultimately becomes Alzheimer's disease.
0: Absolutely. Some more good news for folks out there. Our preset or our predisposition is always in you know, uh, health and reset homeostasis, not in disease neurogenesis, not in neuro decline. So, and I know, and we're, you know, closing in on uh, running out of time here and there's no such thing as the optimal diet, but I'd love for you to tell us about the, the keto flex 12 to three dykes. I know you've seen a lot of success with that, uh, particular focus and high fat, I guess, as it is. Yes. So
1: just to give you a background, a quick setting. Uh, There are seven basic things, so diet, exercise, sleep, stress, brain training, targeted supplementation, and detox. Those are the seven things we can all do, very helpful, help our health span, help our biological age. And then beyond that, for people with cognitive decline, you want to look at, are there specific pathogens, specific toxins? You know, is there mercury that we didn't know about? We need to go after those things. Now, with respect to the nutrition, the number one, the diet that you said, very, very important. And what it turns out helps your brain the most is a plant-rich, doesn't have to be just plants, but a plant-rich, mildly ketogenic diet. And people are kind of coming to this Uh, from different directions, but we're ending up at the same thing. Why ketosis? Because your brain needs one of two things to burn. It has to have either glucose or ketones, and it's best when you can go back and forth. So that's being metabolically flexible. And so to get into some mild ketosis, unfortunately, when you have cognitive decline, you've usually lost both You're insulin resistant, and so you're not able to burn glucose appropriately, and you're not keto adapted, so you're not making and burning ketones. Literally, your brain is starving. And of course, you need the blood flow to get it there. So if you've got vascular disease, that's another contributor. You need to have the oxygenation. So if you've got sleep apnea, that's another contributor or even things like upper airway resistance syndrome. Anything that doesn't get the oxygen to your brain at night is a potential problem. And then of course, mitochondrial function. Right. Your mitochondria have to be able to burn these substrates for energy. So we use what's, as you mentioned, KetoFlex twelve three. is a mildly ketogenic uh, flexitarian diet um, that has appropriate times of fasting, 12 to 16 hours at night. And, and if you're frail, please don't you know? Please don't start there. Please start work up slowly, and just take some exogenous ketones to begin with, because you need that. You know, when people come to see me who have cognitive decline, I recognize that is an emergency. They're telling me they're not supporting that brain enough for whatever reason. It's up to us then to figure out all the reasons and to address them. But a very very common one is nutrition. And so you do have to address that. And the the leader in Alzheimer's in France said, wrote a piece saying the idea that nutrition is important in this disease is ridiculous. Who could ever believe that? Well, obviously, this guy doesn't know, know his basic research because, in fact, it's very important to get that ketogenic diet. And of course, it's been shown multiple times. And Professor Stephen Kinane from Canada has shown beautifully that simply giving people ketones is actually helpful. And it's the first step in the many steps to get the best outcomes. In fact, most of us could have better cognition. Even if we have normal cognition today, we could do even better by doing all these things right that you and I talked about.
0: See, it's all a positive outlook, uh, you know, for those that are concerned about this. Um, and, and you mentioned uh, exogenous ketones. I'm, I'm sure that includes yeah. things like BHA. But And this is just another impossible answer, um, you know, in terms of best supplements for the average person. I know you list a number in the book and the program, but if there's anyone out there who's just interested in adding brain span or health span to their brain, um, are there a couple of sort of like Dr. Bredesen's top three everyone should consider? Yeah, it's
1: a good point. You know, of course, the best thing is to know what you're actually targeting. I don't like the idea of treating people blindly because, you know, for example, you or I may be low in, you know, omega-3s. So we want to include omega-3s, but we may be very good in our BDNF. And so therefore, we don't need whole coffee fruit extract to increase our BDNF, for example. And there are many other situations. However, you're right. There are some favorites. Um, And I would say, you know, on on some of the top ones, um, I do like uh, omega threes, because so many of us have a poor omega six to omega three ratio. Good to look at that, you know, you want to be in the kind of two to four, you don't want to be up at 16 to 20, which is the typical American, that's a very pro-inflammatory ratio, you also don't want to be at 0.5, which is a a low ratio where you actually at increased risk for bleeding. So you want to be in a, you know, a good ratio of your omega-3s to omega-6s. Second thing I like is whole coffee fruit extract. Um, Because this is something that increases your BDNF is anti-Alzheimer's effect. It supports the production and maintenance of the very connections we see. And it's interesting, if you look at the molecular biology of the pathophysiology of Alzheimer's disease, you see this amazing intimate connection between the amyloid, the APP signaling, and the BDNF. Mm -hmm. So there is, again, there is a true close relationship between BDNF and Alzheimer's pathophysiology. So I really like that one. And then, you know, there are others I like resolve for people who actually have some ongoing inflammation. As Professor Charles Searhan from Harvard has pointed out, resolvins can be helpful. You don't need to take them forever. You can take them for a month. They help you for that resolution piece. Then you can get on the omega-3s, which is an anti-inflammatory. Of course, as with many people, I like curcumin. Um, Again, another anti-inflammatory. But remember that people will say, oh, it's just about getting an anti-inflammatory. Well, let's find out what's causing the inflammation uh, as well, because you want to remove that as well. Um, And then there are other things. Um things like magnesium three and um, eight that can be helpful. You know, so many of us are low in magnesium. good it's good to check that. And there's magnesium you need for your gut and magnesium you need for your brain, which is which is why uh, Gosong Lu from MIT developed the magnesium three and eight because it does it is a better way to get it into your brain. Um, uh, again, vitamin D, something that's underappreciated, and so many of us are walking around. I had a, a doctor who himself was walking around with a very, very low vitamin D and had early stage Alzheimer's disease, positive PET scan, uh, You know, very, very obvious, and he's done extremely well. Um, he had multiple contributors, as with many people. He had metabolic syndrome, leaky gut, the whole, the whole nine yards, and he's done very, very well with optimizing those things. Um, so those are, you know, certainly some of my favorites, of course, probiotics and prebiotics would be on that list as well. And simply having, you know, fermented vegetables and things like that, very, very helpful. Of course, okay. there's lots of research about which probiotics are going to be good. Are we really, uh, is it going to be helpful to have things like bifidobacterium, more of those is going to be helpful. Ackermansia mucinophila is a big one that everyone's talking about now. Uh, But again, you know, as time goes on, we'll get more and more information about what are the critical ones, but for all these things we know that it's the overall environment. This is a network again. Alzheimer's is a network insufficiency. That's what we discovered too much demand, which is inflammation and toxicity too little supply, which is energetics and trophic activity. That is what Alzheimer's is. You can prevent it. You can reverse it, especially in early stages. We've shown it. Our clinical trial has proven it.
0: So well said. Now it's just the tip of the iceberg, folks, as that uh, list could become easily a laundry list for Dr. Bredesen. Um, I just got to give a quick few shout outs as you were talking about that list. First is the work of Dr. Bill Harris. If you want to know your omega-3 levels, I love that what he's done is he a simple at-home finger prick test. It's called the Omega Quant. If you want to analyze your omega-3 levels and get them beyond where we hope is optimal, that's more than 8%. And then, yes, that uh, coffee fruit uh, extract, the whole berry extract as a product from uh, future Ceuticals. Look for that that uh, on your product, not all coffee um, extracts or, or coffee powders are made the same. So look for the future citicals. You've got an upcoming uh, randomized control trial uh, of your recode protocol for Alzheimer's in the works just before we sign off, tell us quickly about that. Absolutely, and so really, really honored to be doing this with uh, six
1: outstanding physicians, You know, Dr. An- uh, Anne Hathaway and Kat Toops and Christine Burke and Nate Bergman, Craig Tanio and, and David Hasse. Um, Very exciting. It's going to be at six different sites around the country, Miami, Cleveland, Nashville, uh, Sacramento, and then two in the Bay Area. So again, we're very excited about that. It's supported by the Four Winds Foundation and Diana Merriam. We're grateful to her for her support. I should mention also uh, for anyone who wants to read about people who've gotten better, who wrote their own stories. It's called The First Survivors of Alzheimer's Disease, published last year, and really gives from the the first person perspective, what it's like to be told that you have no hope and then to get better. And again, we have people who are years into this now. So we're enthusiastic about the trial. With now, now with new testing, we'll be able to look at epigenetics to say, what is the brain age of these people? And can we reduce their brain age? What is the phospho We'll be able to have blood testing that tells, so you don't have to do a PET scan to be looking to see if there's amyloid there. We'll be able to see whether we can actually improve the neural damage. We know that these people do well. We know that their metabolomics get better, but we'd like to show now that we can see into the brain and see that their synapses are indeed uh, supporting just what we've seen with the cognitive testing. We had people in the last study who went from a MOCA score of 19, which is full on Alzheimer's disease, up to 30, which is a perfect score.
0: So really some exciting uh, results there. And we look forward to this new trial. Remarkable, incredible. For more information about Dr. Dale Bredesen, check out ApolloHealthCo.com, and for more about the Recode Program, is uh, is you can find that there, and all of his books on Amazon or major bookstores, including The End of Alzheimer's, The End of Alzheimer's Program, and The First Survivors of Alzheimer's, and that's just a recent publication. Or follow him on Twitter or Instagram at Dr. Dale. Redison. Thank you so much for joining me today on uh, Wild on Health Seeking House Band, You've given a lot of folks a lot of excellent information to look into, and uh, God bless you. And as I said, um, I, I really do feel this, uh, truly and honestly. The uh, Nobel Peace Prize is uh, Nobel's prize rather than science is coming your way, sir, uh, with this incredible research. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, Bryce. Thanks for having me.